You just have those days sometimes, folks, where you forget stuff. I ran off. I have the same routine every day. I go to the gym every single morning. I take my change of clothes with me. And, uh, and anyway, I ran off and forgot my clothes to change into. And so I had to run back home after I went to the gym. And then I ran off and left my iPad. And so I am crippled tonight <laughs> teaching off of my computer. So it's, you just bear with me. It's probably going to be a mess. But uh, we'll get through it anyhow, right? You got to have iPad. I mean, everybody knows that. You got to have an iPad to teach the Bible. All right, look with me in Proverbs chapter number three. We're going to probably just read, oh, let's say, let's say down to verse number six, uh, beginning in verse one. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace, they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence this evening. God, we want to thank you for the grace that we've received in Christ. We pray now that you would grant us understanding as we dig into Proverbs chapter 3. I pray that your spirit would guide our path, that you'd illuminate our hearts and minds, that you would give us revelation and knowledge tonight. Um, that's incomprehensible to, to just our, our mortal minds. I pray, God, you'd reveal things to us in the spirit uh, and help us to learn to apply and live out the truth of your word. We love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So be, last week we began talking about how Proverbs chapter 3, if you notice again in verses 1 and 2, it sets off a series of what we're going to call imperatives and consequences that continue throughout this section. So again, notice the imperative uh, and consequence. He says in verse 1, my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. There's the imperative. This is something that you just, this is an absolute necessity in your life. Uh, don't forget things that I have imparted to you. I've shared truth with you. I've shared experience with you. I've shared the wisdom that God's allowed me to accumulate. And now don't forget that. And then, and then the consequence, um, or rather the reward in this case, is for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. And so with every, with every imperative comes either a reward or a consequence. And so keep in mind throughout this section and, and primarily throughout the whole book of Proverbs um, that the setting is, is wisdom has been personified as a compassionate, loving father uh, and in other cases, as a compassionate, loving mother, this is an equal opportunity employer here, um, but uh, wisdom is being personified as, as a compassionate parent, as a loving parent, right? I'm looking around the room, and I see some great parents in the room that, that, that you want with all your heart to share truth with your children so they don't have to repeat the same courses that you took that weren't quite so easy to take. And, and, and many of us have been down those roads, and we've had experiences, and we've learned the hard way from those experiences. And as I said last week, uh, in a perfect world, every generation would be wiser than the generation before them. It's absolutely not the truth, right? <laughs> I mean, that's evident. I mean, the next generation's way dumber than our generation. <laughs> Although the odd thing is, my generation's way smarter than the generations before. I don't get that. But either way, it's just the way it is, guys, Okay. 
So, but uh, again, in a perfect world, we would continue to pass wisdom down from one generation to the other. Now, this is not a perfect world, and I can't control what happened in former generations, but I do believe God's given me a certain level of stewardship over my generation, over my family, my children. And in some cases, it's, it's been our duty to break the chain, some toxic patterns that have passed down to us. God is using us to stop that and to cut it off and pass better things down to our children. And so with every imperative, with every command, with every bit of wisdom comes either a reward or a consequence. And it's not, it's not this chastening sort of, you know, you better do what I say or else. It's you better do what I say or else. <laughs> you know, it's not this harsh, condemning voice. It's the voice of a loving parent that just says, please, for crying out loud, um, I've been down that road. And I don't want you to go down it. And so we talked a little bit last week about the balance of wisdom that's found in verse number three. Notice what it says. He says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. It's so important that he says you need to bind them uh, around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Again, this is, this is poetic language. I feel like I have to say that because I've heard some Christians that take everything in the Bible literally, right? Um, please don't try to write this on your heart. Okay? I don't know that that's going to work out well, um, and, and, but, 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 he, but he's, he's, just, he's, he's emphatically stating how important it is for us to find balance. Let not mercy and truth, certainly it's a reference to those things specifically, but the greater implication is that he's explaining to us how vital uh, it is that we discover balance in life, that we figure out uh, how, how to balance. Uh, last week, we talked a little bit about toughness and tenderness. You've got to have both. And we could use almost anything uh, in, the, in the conversation of balance, but, but it's, it's hard to know sometimes as, as an adult uh, where to be tough you know, where to know when to hold them and where to fold them. And so, so to, you know, stuff like that, you know what I'm saying? Uh, know when to hold them, when to fold. It's, it's tough to know when we should take a strong stand. Yeah. Uh, what should we take a strong stand for? What battles do we fight? I've, I've made the statement several times, but I think it bears repetition. I don't go into battle when there's no spoil. If there's nothing to gain. I say, let's not even fight about it. You know, when I was young, I'd fight just for sake of fighting, Right. But as we get older, you know, you realize that, gosh, I, don't, I just don't have time for the drama. I'm not going to waste my time fighting battles when there's nothing to gain from it. So, so where, do we, where do we dig in our heels and where, where are we tough and where are we people of conviction and where do we sort of have a more open-handed approach and say, you know what, this isn't worth fighting about. I'm going to exemplify the compassion of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the goodness of God. I'm going to bless those who curse me. I'm not going to fight over this, Right. Um, so we talked about the balance, and the truth be told, again, in any arena, I don't care what, 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 what compartment of life you're dealing with or what we're discussing, every area of life, it's difficult to find balance, ain't it? Don't act like y'all are just perfectly balanced. We're extreme by nature, and some of us are more extreme in nature, I confess that, but, but, but the reality is humankind is, is we, we tend to gravitate toward extremes. That's why you have very extreme religious groups. That's why you have very extreme political groups. That's why you have people who are extreme about sports or extreme about, again, shopping, ladies, is that one? I don't know. But, but we, tend to, we tend to overindulge, we tend to, we tend to go in one direction or the other, right? And so it's, it's vital that we find balance. Verse number three is the imperative, okay? 
Verse number four is the consequence. Uh, So verse three, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Verse four, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. I find that to be very interesting. If if, If we discover balance... Now, think about the life of Christ. Of course, we always need to turn our eyes toward Jesus because he's the perfect example in all things. Think about Jesus, okay? Jesus was criticized by both ends of the spectrum. The right-wing religious nuts hated him, didn't they? The Sadducees hated him. The Sadducees were your, you know, your more liberal (laughs) crowd, Uh, They were very critical of certain things like even resurrection and angels. They didn't necessarily believe in that. They were were more aesthetic. And and, and Jesus took heat from both sides. And when you you walk down the center line, you're going to take heat from both directions. But there's a ditch on both sides of the road, and we're called to find that balance. And it's difficult. And so, but he says when we do find it, when you discover that balance, you will also find favor with God and man. How many of y'all could use more favor in your life? (laughs) Right? Uh, We talk often, of course, about the grace of God and the mercy of God, but I've said a couple times throughout this, and I felt like I had to qualify it or maybe clear up some things last week that I'd said the week before about God. uh, God helps those who help themselves, and somebody asked me, well, I thought in salvation everything was free. It is, okay? This isn't, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about life, right? It's like I was saying Sunday, man, you don't have to prove yourself to anybody. The implication is, parenthetically, unless you have a boss, <laughs> right? I mean, there are, there are venues that you need to prove yourself. I get that. But what we're talking about in, in, in this world, in the book of Proverbs, is more earthly oriented. It's more like terrestrial. Uh, if you do this in life, you'll get this, okay? Heavenly reward has nothing to do with that, and that's another conversation, but when it comes to this life, he said, look, if you learn what it is to be balanced, you'll be, you'll be highly favored. People will begin to recognize, people appreciate, and people honor those who think and operate with balance, right? I mean, the only time we like extremists is when they are in our extremity. Is that right or wrong? We only appreciate people who are extreme when they're extreme about things that we're extreme about. And we're like, yeah, bro, comrade, woo. But we can't stand people who are extreme about things that, that are polar opposite to us. And so it's important that we discover balance, and there's a whole lot invested in that, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. But, but then number two last week, this is all review. Uh, last week we talked about the objectivity of wisdom. I'm going to use the word objectivity often because I use it often in my own life. Okay, So I'm going to use it often throughout this series. I believe it's vital for, for us as Christians to learn what it is to be objective. Notice verse number five. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now notice the next phrase. He says, and do not lean on your own understanding. And do not lean on your own understanding. Now this is, this is coming from a book who tells us to get wisdom and if all you're getting, get understanding. We need understanding, but he's saying don't lean on your own understanding. Understanding is vital. It's, it's, it's a vital component within this conversation. But, he, but, but, it, but the imperative is don't lean on your 
understanding. Don't use your own ability to, to decipher, discern. Don't use your own abilities. Lean on the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Objective thinking is, is defined as the ability to process. Now, don't miss this. This is important. Nothing else I'm going to say is important but this. It's the ability to process without the distortion of personal feelings, prejudices, or interpretations. How many of y'all know Christian people are very prejudiced? We are, and I don't mean prejudice against skin color, but but we're very prejudiced. I, I've known I've known Christian people who are who are very dogmatic about stuff. Again, talking about going into battle where there's no, nothing to gain. I've, I've known Christian people that are very dogmatic about things that actually don't matter. Right, especially down south. I spent a lot of time in in the south in the early days of being a Christian. I mean, arguing about whether you should call soda soda or cola or coke or pop. They'd argue about that stuff. They'd argue about whether Missouri was a Confederate state. Right, just stupid stuff. Arguing about nonsense. It's amazing to me the 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 the, the small amount of objectivity I have witnessed. In, in Christians within their thinking, that, that it's like we don't have the ability to think outside our own little scope. And what winds up hap- happening oftentimes is we try to just preserve our own little bubble and we get so inward focused, we don't live any, leave any room for other people to come in and ever challenge our thinking. Well, let me be the first to tell you, your thinking needs to be challenged. I'm not afraid of, of, of truth being scrutinized. I'm pretty certain that truth can withstand the test of interrogation. But, but we're afraid of it. We're afraid that we're not going to have the answers. Let me be, again, the first to tell you that it's okay to not have all the answers all the time. That's coming from a guy who likes to have answers. I don't like it when somebody asks me a question and I say, man, you know what, I'm going to have to get back to you. In fact, I've made up some stuff sometimes because I didn't want to tell them that. <laughs> I've made up answers. I said, well, you know, actually. If you say actually enough, it makes it sound like you really know what you're talking about. Actually. That's, so actually, in fact, it's what, you know. But we shouldn't be making up stuff. We ought to, we ought to leave room. And, and look, don't let your faith be shaken over somebody asking a few questions. And people get so thrown off. Well, I don't know. Well, it's okay. We can study and we can talk and we can, you know, but, 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 but we have to have a level of objectivity. So here's our theme verse, okay? I've just, I have just dubbed Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 7, as the theme verse of this whole study. Notice what it says with me. Wisdom is the principal thing. Y'all ever heard this before? I quoted it like five minutes ago. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all you're getting, get understanding. That's the essence of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is, is, is about us gaining wisdom. And with that wisdom, gaining understanding. And, and, and we'll even see throughout the book that wisdom is, is more valuable than anything on earth. That's shocking. But he says in verse number 14, and we're not jumping all the way down here just yet, but he says her proceeds, speaking of wisdom, her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. What if, what if God tonight said, man, you can, have, you can have everything in this world or you can have wisdom, but you can't have both? It'd be a tough decision. Now, we just read some verses that gave us the right answer, and so, of course, we know the right answer, but I'm saying on a, on a very physical, cellular level, how tough would that be? If God said, man, here it all, you can have it all, 
you can have it all. You can have everything, right? You can have everything your heart desires, or you can have wisdom, but you can't have both. That'd be a tough choice, wouldn't it? But, but he's telling us that, that the smart decision, and we'll, again, we'll see why in just a moment, but the, the right decision would be wisdom above all else because wisdom is more precious than any earthly thing. And so with it, we have to get wisdom. And let me just, let me say this. I'm going to tack some of these on throughout the series, but let me just, let me just make, a, make a statement here about one thing wisdom is most definitely better than, and it's so appropriate to this, to the context of Proverbs chapter 3, but wisdom is better than emotion. I mean, we talk money, silver, gold, but, but we really like emotion, don't we? We do. Ladies, help me. We like emotion. You like watching sad movies because it moves you emotionally. Some of you. The more sadistic type in the room, you like to watch scary movies because it, it moves you in a different type of emotion, doesn't it? And the men are just as bad. I just knew that they wouldn't admit it. We're kind of bad with emotion in the sense that we'll, I avoid those sad movies. Don't you? Right, men? Come on, help me. I avoid them. Chick flicks, I hate them. I don't want to get all lovey-dovey. I'm already married. Why would I need to do that? Is she in here? Okay. Yeah, like I said. <laughs> but but wisdom, wisdom is better than emotion, okay? Um, when, when it comes to decisions, uh, making choices, decisions and choices made out of emotion have no intrinsic value. They don't, and, 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 and that may not be shocking on the surface, but when you begin to think about how, how, how much weight and stock we have put in the way that we feel at times, we'll say things like, I just have a feeling about this person. Could be good or bad, but we, st- we make statements like that. I have a feeling about this person. I don't, there's something about them. I can't put my finger on it. I don't like, there's something in them that just makes me uncomfortable. Okay. Well, here's what I would say to that. Good. Don't ignore the feeling. Don't ignore you. I've ignored my gut too many times. Don't ignore your gut feeling. It might be the Holy Spirit. It might, be, it might be some sort of intuition that God has just woven into your DNA. So don't ignore the feeling, but also don't rely on it. Seek wisdom, and then let wisdom and understanding either confirm or contradict your feelings. Good? I don't think you heard that. Are the kids making noise? Can you all hear me back there? Okay. Don't ignore the feeling. If you get a bad feeling, a gut feeling, seek the wisdom of God. Seek God's wisdom and then allow wisdom to either validate or invalidate, to either confirm or contradict your feelings and be open to it. Lord, I have a feeling about this individual. I have a feeling about this situation, but I want to bring it before you and make sure my feelings are valid. And so here I am with a clean slate. I just want to let you guide me. Show me why I feel this way. Because you're feeling that way for a reason. It may be you. It may be that God reveals something in you and says, you know what, you just were intimidated by that individual. Or you just felt insecure around that person. It wasn't them, it was you the whole time. Or it might be that you seek wisdom and God reveals something to you and confirms that, yeah, no, stay away from them. Don't hire them. Don't partner with them. Don't, don't be friends with that person. I don't mean be unkind, but I'm saying just don't let them in your bubble. Protect your bubble. Right? That's vital. 
Protect your bubble. Protect those that you let in your inner circle. Right? See, here's where this balance comes into play. We never want to be clicky. I hate clicks. Hate, hate, hate them. But at the same time, you have to guard who you take counsel from, and whether you want to believe it or not, you receive counsel from the people you spend the most time with. Voluntarily or involuntarily, you are, you're going to adapt to the company that you keep, and they will have an effect on you. I know we're all, we've all outgrown peer pressure. No, you haven't. There's not a single person in this room that, ha- that has actually outgrown the pressure of those around us. We all, in some way, are affected by those around us. So here's how wisdom's better than feelings. Don't ignore the feeling. See how balanced I am, guys? Man, I, this guy is so balanced. <laughs> I have to make up my own compliments, too. So verse number six, here's what we do. He says... In all your ways, acknowledge him. Here again is where I believe we begin to, we, we, we start to overcomplicate things. When, when, it, when it pertains to seeking the Lord. I, I, do, you, do you agree with me? Do you think that, that maybe, and I say we loosely, but do you think that we have, we have overcomplicated seeking God? As if it's some laborious task. As if, you know, I have to self-sacrifice, and there's a place for fasting, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but, but, but we almost get this mindset that God's not going to talk to us unless we fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Like God's not going to give us big answers unless, you know, like he's up there and he's just, you know, what's that commercial where they're holding that, 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 that thing out in front of that lady? Like, you almost got it? You almost got it? No, what the heck is that? Dadgummit. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That insurance commercial? You almost got it. If you hadn't seen it, I'm sure my illustration just painted a vivid picture for you. <laughs> you don't even need to watch it now. But it's not like God is up there. It would have been easier to say dangling a carrot, but that wouldn't do. It's not like God is up there dangling a carrot in front of our noses going, oh, 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 oh. We overcomplicate. He says just, just acknowledge him. Father, what am I supposed to do with this? Just acknowledge his presence. Acknowledge the fact that you're living in the presence and you're indwelt by the presence of God. And I can seek God for wisdom in absolutely anything. There's nothing too small and there's nothing too hard for God to deal with and give us the understanding that we need. He says, just acknowledge him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And it says he will direct your path. That's a beautiful promise. If you will acknowledge him, he will direct your path. And I guarantee you, again, I'm trying to cut down on the surveys. I feel like I over-survey y'all. But I guarantee you, if I were to ask for a show of hands of the people in the room who in their life have taken the time to seek the Lord for decisions, that all across the room we could raise our hand in testimony and say, yeah, God gave me exactly what I needed in that moment. I've had hard conversations. I've had to have very difficult conversations with people. I've been put in some very very uncomfortable situations to say the least. And there have been times I've lost sleep and I've had to say, Lord, how, how, I got a meeting at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to say to this person. This is a tough situation. What should I say? Never without fail. I'm telling you, without fail, God has given me the wisdom that I needed. Acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Now watch this. This is, this is building. Verse number seven says, do not be wise 
in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't be wise in your own eyes. I'm repeating that on purpose. Because we sort of tend to think we're smarter than what we are. Don't we? I really do value my wisdom. I do. A lot. (laughs) But he says, do not, don't be wise in your own eyes. Here's 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 the implication that's not actually stated in black and white, though. You don't have to be wise in your own eyes if you are actually operating in wisdom. Because people around you will naturally begin to recognize wisdom in you. If you have to state to another person how wise you are, I'm just going to go on a limb (laughs) and say there's probably a reason why you're having to tell them that. You You don't have to tell a person you're wise if you're genuinely wise. It's sort of, I've said this often, a genuinely spiritual person does not have to tell you or prove to you that they're spiritual. In fact, my belief, uh, I I tend to lean toward the notion that a genuinely spiritual person will do their best to downplay their own spirituality so that they they don't put themselves on a pedestal and try to prove something and try to prove themselves to be something. I mean, that's, that's the whole essence of humility. And so when he says, don't be wise in your own eyes, he's essentially telling us, stay humble. Stay humble, because arrogance is the most efficient path to failure. You can write that proverb down. It is, though. Arrogance is the most efficient path to to failure. You want to get to failure quickly? You want to expedite that process? Just get full of yourself. Because there's no room for that in God's kingdom. It's only one throne, one king. And it ain't you, and it isn't me. And so he says, stay humble, keep your head down. Don't don't brag, Don't, don't be wise in your own eyes, don't think of yourself... I like what Paul said in, in, the, in the book of Corinthians. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Don't, don't, get, a, don't get the big head. Don't, don't get an elevated ego, self-ego. Don't get this elevated self-image. Stay humble. Realize that wisdom comes from God. If, you, if God is giving you wisdom, it will be evident. You won't have to prove it to anybody. You won't have to explain it to anybody. You won't have to tell anybody. You won't have to wear a shirt saying, I got wisdom. Wis- who has wisdom? This guy. You won't have to tell people that. He says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So again, we're going to see this. I told you before when we see the statement, the fear of the Lord or fear of the Lord, we're going to see this repeated throughout the Proverbs. And it's not, you know, it's not a fear of I'm, I'm afraid of the dark. Or I'm afraid of heights. It's not that type of fear. It's not a crippling type of fear. Fearing the Lord is, is, is standing in awe of him, recognizing who he is, recognizing the, his power, his capabilities, his majesty. He says, fear the Lord. Make sure you always remember where you fit in the scheme of things. You're a piece of the puzzle. You're not the, you're not the puzzle master or the puzzle maker. Remember where you fit, that you're part of God's economy, that you're precious in his eyes, that God has a plan for your life, that God individually wants to use you in magnificent ways, but always remember that God is God and you are not God. 
the temptation from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, Eve wasn't tempted with fruit. He said, no, I know the story. We, we had flannel graph in VBS when I was a kid, and I saw the flannel graph that said that Eve was tempted by fruit. She wasn't tempted by fruit. She was tempted by the knowledge. And the enemy said that, that, that the reason why God didn't want them eating of that particular tree is because in the day that they would eat of it, they'd become gods themselves. So the real temptation was becoming our own god. We want to be the masters of our own destiny. We want to rule over our own kingdom. The problem is the only way for us to rule is to be under his rule. God does give us kingdoms. God does give us delegations. God does give us stewardship. God's made you a steward over something. But he's God, and we're subjects within his kingdom. Does that make perfect sense? Good. You guys are looking better than the Sunday crowd did. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse number 8, notice this. It says, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. You know what verse 8 means? I really don't know. No, for real. I did some thinking on that. I studied it. I'm not 100% sure what it means, but, but I can say this. In the very least, this means that wisdom will teach us how to take care of our physical health. <laughs> I think we minimize that. I believe, again, here's this, here's this balance thing. In the Christian life, it's spirit, 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 spirit. Everything's spirit. Everything's celestial. Problem is, we don't live in a celestial world. I mean, we do, but we don't. Right? Remember that dual citizenship? That, uh, that the plurality of our nature, we do live in, we live in, in the kingdom of Christ, that's the spiritual essence, and there are angels, and there are demons, and we have the Holy Spirit, and, and so we do understand it, we are living in, in a spirit realm, so to speak, but, but we, we actually live in a natural realm. I know that, I mean, honestly, most people hearing me say that would go, yeah, of course we do, but... but you have to remember, I've dealt with Christians for over 20 years of my life. And sometimes we over-spiritualize everything. We make everything spiritual, when in reality, not everything is spiritual. Now, now, in everything, give thanks, and we ought to give glory to God in all that we do, whether you eat or drink. Paul said, therefore, do it all to the glory of God. But, but we live in a tangible terrestrial realm. And so I don't know fully, I, I think there, there may be some, this may be sort of that uh, imperative and consequence sort of pattern that we talked about earlier, but at the same time I can say with confidence that verse 8 is at least telling us that if we'll take care of our physical bodies, then, then we will be healthy. And again, this sounds so elementary, but, but the truth is that there's a lot of merit to taking care of yourself physically. As much as is possible, learn how to balance, and, and, and I've used this verse before, Paul says in the New Testament, he says that every man may know how to maintain his own vessel in sanctification, and the vessel he's referring to is our physical body, that we're traveling this world in an earth suit, and we need to take care of it. There's a connection between feeling good spiritually and feeling good physically. Now, if you don't believe that, holler at me next time you get the stomach flu. And tell me how spiritual you feel. Huh? I mean, I'm hollering, but it ain't hallelujah. 
when you don't feel good physically, you don't feel good spiritually. And, and, and in this life, you'll get to the point, some of the older folks are looking at me going, what am I supposed to do about all these aches and pains? Nothing. Now. You know what I'm saying? We all naturally get to that point where our bodies start to go downhill. It's the unfortunate realm and reality of, of life cycle. But, but, but as much as, as you have the ability, we should be taking care of ourselves physically because there is a connection here to where when, we, when, we, when we're taking care of our, of our physical bodies, that, that, that it helps our, our mindset, it helps our, our disposition, our emotions, it helps balance and regulate everything, your serotonin levels and all that good stuff that, you know, is supposed to be flowing through your veins, right? And so wisdom teaches us to take care of ourselves physically. See, I wouldn't have preached that two years ago because I was out of shape. But I'm now, you know, a specimen of physical health and therefore, no, I'm not. But, but I have learned that, well, I'm going to tell you, it helps your stress level. You know, I've learned when I'm starting to have a come apart, and how many of y'all are pretty good at having just absolutely falling apart at the seams? I've, I've discovered when I'm having a come apart, man, if I get out somewhere and just start walking, I used to almost make fun of people that would do that, like they were sissies. You sissy, you gotta gotta get out and clear your head. Like that sounds stupid now saying it, but there's something to it when you'll get out and just exert some physical energy and get out and walk off some of that stress. It's amazing, especially when you couple that with prayer. When you're walking, get to talking and see what God does during that time because you're making that connection. It's six fifty one. Holy cow, we gotta go. Here we go. Verse number nine, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, I want to just say that this is not how, how we typically think about material wealth. We don't generally think about what we have as a means to an end, and that end being the glory of God. We don't, we don't generally think, okay, especially in our youth, we don't generally think that, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a good job, I'm going to make good money so that I can honor God with it. I'm going to get a good job and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to have good work ethic and I'm going to invest properly and I'm going I'm to do the right things so that I can honor God with, my, with, with all that I have. We don't think of material things that way. But he says, if you'll learn how to honor God, and of course, there are a lot of avenues. As a pastor, I should probably tell you that this means you should tithe to the church. That's probably what I should say. And, and really, there's an element of that, but that's not in this text. It's just saying uh, effectively that, that with what we have, we ought to be using what we have to honor the Lord. And we could unpack what that looks like, but, 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 the, but the point is, I guess the bottom line is that God doesn't give you things just so you can accumulate things. God doesn't give us stuff for the sake of stuff and having more stuff and getting more stuff. And there's an, again, there's an element where the Bible says a righteous man will leave an inheritance to his children and his grandchildren, and there's, 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 there's beauty in that. In, in, in this, in this, I don't live in a family that has any, uh, any trickle-down wealth. I'm just, that's not my family. My dad... Grew up in cotton fields. My grandpa was a sharecropper. I'm just saying, uh, I don't have any inherited wealth from generations past. But, but we, should be, we should be honoring God with what we do have. And you can pass down things to the next generation that are intangible. I get that. 
And those things are far more important. But, but he says if we will honor the Lord with our possessions, if we, if we, will, if we will give God the first fruit of our increase, if, if we'll put him before everything else. This is the seek ye first principle. It's the seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's putting God first in everything, including finances. That's a difficult concept for some of us to grasp. But if we put God first, did you know that, that, that giving is one of the few things in the Bible that comes with a guarantee? It's true. Right here he says, if you'll honor the Lord with your substance, with the first fruit of all your increase, he said your barns will be filled with plenty. Now, if you don't have a barn, I don't know what to tell you, but <laughs> he says, you're out. Have Sai come build a barn for you. That's all I know what to tell you. Uh, just kidding. He's too busy, right? That's free. Nope. Okay. Free commercial. No, you don't pay me for that? Okay, cool. Uh, 10% commission. All right. Uh, but he says your, your vats will overflow with new wine. I mean, never mind. I'm not going to make the joke. I make that joke too much. Okay? I'm not going to say, I'm not going to bash on our teetotaler friends. But he says, <clears throat> he says, when you'll honor God, again, with, with everything that you have, God will take care of what you need. Your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Hmm. Let's see what we got here. Yeah, I can do this in five minutes. Y'all ready? You want to quit? Y'all ready? Tap out. Say uncle. If you want I got just this last couple. This is going to finish this section, okay, of chapter three. Notice in verse number 11. He says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Here's the question that I want to pose. First of all, that's just, that's just a statement that we need to understand. That who the Lord loves, he will chasten. A good parent is not a parent who pacifies evil. A good parent is, is one who will discipline in a loving, compassionate way. There's nothing spiritual about, about letting your kids run wild and, and act crazy and jump on church pews and leave, <laughs> spill stuff on the carpet. There's, I'm just kidding. My kids do that every week. It's cool. I'm just teasing. But I'm saying there's, there's nothing spiritual about, about us just letting our kids go undisciplined. And so he, he says, just as a loving father, a good father, a good mother will discipline their children in compassion and love and mercy for their good, even so your father will chasten you, will discipline you, because whom the Lord loves, he corrects. So here's my question. How, how do we discern the difference between ordinary aggravations, ordinary mishaps, and even tragedy versus those things happening as a result of God's dis disciplinary action toward us? Because once more, being in this realm of trying to find balance, I've, I've been in, in cultures, church cultures, where every bad thing that happened was because you did something bad. You were bad little boys and girls, and that's why the Lord had to do that to you. And that is awful. That's an awful way to live. That's a horrible way to, to live as a Christian in constant fear. Man, if I get out of line, God's going to hurt my kids. If I get out of line, I'm going to get sick or something bad's going to happen. Or I'm going to get in a car wreck or lose my job. That's a horrible way to live. 
But how do we tell the difference between ordinary aggravations? Look, the world's aggravating. People are frustrating. Stuff is hard. Money's frustrating. Politics, for crying out loud, don't get me started on that. How do we discern the difference, though, between just those ordinary things and, and, and when God is actually trying to teach us something? The, the difficulty, here's what one commentator says, the difficulty in knowing when suffering is to teach us and when there is some other reason behind it. Job discusses these issues and cautions against drawing a shallow conclusion. Now, I think the book of Job is a perfect example. I said five minutes, I'm down to two minutes. Here we go, hurry. Uh, I put time constraints on myself for your listening pleasure. Um, but, in, but, but the book of Job, if you study and read the book of Job, uh, it's, a, it's a complicated book, by the way, very complicated book. But in the book of Job, Job's friend Elihu was, was convinced and insisted that Job's suffering was as a result of God's judgment, that Job was suffering because he did something bad and God was judging him which wasn't true. Elihu was convinced of it. It's amazing how all of his friends had all the answers until God showed up and then they, and then they all got, you know, lockjaw. <laughs> right? They had all the answers until the Lord showed up on the scene. And God said, Where, where's Elihu? I don't know. Ain't got nothing to say now. Elihu insisted that Job was suffering as a result of God's judgment. But again, how do we tell the difference? Well, first... It's important to note, bless you, it's important to note that, that not all correction is painful. So when it says here that, 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 that God chastens, God corrects, remember that not all correction is painful. God's not always going to take you to the woodshed. It's not, when it says God corrects us, God, it doesn't mean that God is just waiting. Just, whoa, step out of line, I freaking dare you. You know? God ain't looking at us just ready to pounce. Not, and I would say most of the time. Again, just you, you, we, have to, we have to sometimes bring this down into, into to human conceptualization. When you think about a good parent, a good parent ain't going to whoop their kid just because they just did so, one little thing, right? You're going to give them warning. You're going to talk to them and go say, hey, man, don't do that. Don't, what, have you lost your ever-loving mind? What are you, what's your problem, Right? Let's not do that again. That was a bad idea. Dad said, don't do that. Let's not do that again, right? We're going to talk to him and talk him through it and try to correct the behavior that's, that's, that's not working out real well, right? We're not going to chase them. We're not going to discipline. We're not going to ground them and stick them in the bad boy corner every time they step out of line. So not all correction is painful, right? Let me say it this way. I would rather get a talking to than a talking to, right? Your dad ever give you a talking to? Come here, boy. Let me talk to you. I was like, ah. No, I know how you talk. I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather just the Lord be able to just, just give me a nod. Like mama had that look. I'd rather the Lord just give me that look. Right? You know what he's thinking. Say, all right, I I know. I'm going to straighten up. I'd rather that than for God. So, so first of all, let's remember that. I don't think the Lord just, just, just knocks us senseless every time we step out of line. Um, but, but we should also be sensitive to the voice of God. I said I could do this in five minutes, guys. We're on minute six. But who's counting? We should be sensitive to the voice of God. Remember in all things, though, it's vital that we rely on wisdom and not our feelings. How does that pertain to this? Well, if you're feeling bad about something, 
right? If you get a bad feel, I feel bad. I did something, I feel bad. Well, if you're feeling bad about something, that, that's, that's perhaps not clearly spelled out in the Bible. Now, if, now if, if you're feeling bad about something that you know you violated a clear principle of Scripture, well, that's, that's a no-brainer, right? If you stole something and you feel bad about it, I can probably tell you that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Is that fair? <laughs> but if you're, I'm saying if you're feeling bad about something that's not clearly spelled out in the Scripture, Pray for God to give you wisdom. Why? Because we said earlier that wisdom colors in the lines. When we're in that gray realm and we, we, we're not sure, and maybe we're second-guessing ourselves, and, and we're thinking, man, maybe I, I don't know if I should have done that. I'm not sure I should have said that. I'm not sure that I should have that feeling toward that person. Whatever it might be, pray for wisdom because you don't want to rely on your feelings. The Bible even says that sometimes our hearts will condemn us. I've heard people tell me, talk to me about things that they're just, they just feel so guilty about. And as I listen and I assess the situation, I'm thinking, and I want to be careful how I say it, but I'm thinking, eh, I don't see why you'd feel bad about that. You didn't violate Scripture. You didn't go against any principle of the Bible. I mean, maybe I don't have all the information here, but I'm not hearing anything that you should be necessarily under some kind of guilt or conviction over. So, so even when we feel a certain way, we ought to assess that through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And then let me say this. I got I to go. All forms of correction should be assessed honestly and objectively. There's that word again. Objectivity. All correction. All correction. All correction. All correction. If it's a police officer, if it's a boss, a supervisor, uh, a spouse, a friend, a parent, I don't care who it is, all correction should be assessed honestly and objectively. And hear me out. If it's valid... It's of the Lord. I don't care who the source is. If it's valid, it's from the Lord. Sometimes our critics can be our biggest helpers. And you may not like the way they say it, and you may not appreciate their tone, but if you'll strip all that away and pray about it and ask God for wisdom, if it's valid, it's from the Lord. Now, if it, it, whether it's criticism from the outside or condemnation from the inside, it should be weighed in the balance of truth and grace. So even if you're feeling bad about something, there's grace with the Lord, right? If you've, if you've wronged, done wrong, you've sinned, and you've confessed your sin, and you're still bearing the guilt of it, that's not from God. It's not. Now, it may be, it may be a red light that helps you not to go down that road again, right? But anyway, all right. I'm going to just crash land it because I ran myself out of time again. And Sunday was a long sermon. I bored myself by the end of that one. Whew. I got done and looked at my watch and said, Dad, come. I looked at Tate and said, that was a long, stinking sermon. So sorry, not sorry. But uh, anyhow, all right. Well, thank you all for being here tonight. And um, got a lot of good stuff coming up. Man, May is a busy month. So y'all getting busy? This Sunday's Mother's Day. Invite your mom or invite your children if you're a mom, your grandchildren. It's the best day. Here's some advice, okay? This is from the Lord. <laughs> Mother's Day, ladies, hear me. Hear me out. It is the most valid guilt trip that you will ever have to get your family to church. Just saying. Take advantage of it. What do you want for Mother's Day, mom or baby? I'd just like you to come sit with me at church on Sunday. 
okay. <laughs> All right. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much again for your wisdom. Thank you for the grace that we have found in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to apply these truths. Um, sometimes we just feel like we cover so much ground. But, but Lord, I pray that, you would, that you'd help us to, to walk it out, to think it through, to pray through it, and to operate in wisdom. Please use us for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.